Thank you for joining us on the Desert Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that you encounter God through this message. Now let's join our youth pastor, Sam Harris, for an inspiring message. Thank you so much for standing to your feet. During the offering moment, we received this card in. And just like Emily said, you can write down your prayer needs, your praise reports. And I want to just read this card because this was handed to me right before I got up. It says this, we as a church have been praying for a no surgery outcome for our 20 month year old daughter. We went to Perth for review last month and she has been cleared by the neurology team and does no longer need brain surgery. But God has answered our prayers and he has answered your prayers. And I think we can do better than that. Lift up a shout of praise to our awesome God who answers our prayers. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, before you take your seats, give three fist bumps, two high fives, and one headbutt to somebody around you. Go. Well, welcome to church. My name is Pastor Sam Harris, and I'm excited. I just had to say that. I am excited. Thank you very much, Rupert, on the keys. You're amazing. I'm excited to be sharing God's word tonight. I've been praying this week. I've been praying for you this week, and I've been praying that God would give me something to share that would hopefully encounter, people would have encounters with him, and people would uh, hear from God tonight. And I'm excited to be sharing. Haley and I uh, run the youth ministry here at Desert Life Church, and we're involved in a whole bunch of things, including the car park, which is awesome. And hey, get on board. We want you in the car park. You saw the golf buggy this morning, and we want you to jump on board with us so that you can fang around the car park and do donuts with, uh, in Jesus' name. It's awesome. Um, you know, Haley, if you know Haley, you'll know that Haley is extremely pregnant. Um, she's due to pop any minute. So if you see Haley get up in this service, okay, and sort of hustle to the back, uh, I shouldn't say this. Well, we're waiting for a baby any moment. So uh, I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. Are you good? Yeah. Are you ready to hear God's word? Yeah. Great. Well, our text for this evening, if you have your Bible, whether it be leather-bound or paperback, hardback, or iPhone, Samsung, Huawei, whatever your device, why don't you whip it out and open up your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, that's cool because it's going to be up on the screen. If you would turn, and you don't have to put this on the screen just yet, um, Donna, but if you would turn to Luke 16, that's where our text is going to be tonight. And as I said before, if you don't have a Bible, that's cool we're happy to give you a Bible after church today if you don't have one, but uh, it's going to be up on the screen in a few minutes. But tonight, I'm going to ask you a question, and the question is going to be the title of tonight's message. And the question is an important question because it makes us dig deep and discover within ourselves and then move and outwork whatever this question is. And so tonight, I'm going to ask this question. And if you're the note-taking type, you can write it down as the title of tonight's message. But I want to ask you this question. Are people my priority? Are people my 
priority. Think about that for a sec. Are people my priority? When Jesus walked this earth for 33 years, roughly 33 years, and this is a historical fact, by the way, there's a historical record that talks about the life of Jesus and the things that he did. And then there's biblical record. But when Jesus walked this earth, he did many things. He, he did miracles. He, he did healings. He raised two people from the dead. He fed thousands of people with just a couple of loaves of fish and a couple, or a couple of loaves of bread and some fish, not loaves of fish. He fed thousands of people. He did works of healing. He cast out demons. He did amazing things. And one of the last things he says to his disciples comes from Matthew 28. You don't have to turn there. Comes from Matthew 28. In the great commission at the very end, it's in red. And he says, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. Jesus is talking to Christians. So he knows that they've made God their priority. But now he's saying, now that you're Christians, now that you serve the God that I am, you now should go and make disciples. Jesus made people his priority. And so tonight I want to talk to you on this question, are people my priority? Luke 16, if you are there, awesome. Go down to the little number 19 where we are going to hang out tonight. It's up on the screens if you don't have your Bible. And let's read together. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Ooh, that's nice. Next verse. And there was a poor man named Lazarus. He was laid at the rich man's gate and covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. You can hold that there. Jesus uh, was an amazing public speaker. He was one of the best public speakers because he captured the attention of everyone that he spoke to. Crowds of thousands gathered around him because they heard him speak. And the crowds may have started off small, but they got massive to the point where sometimes there wasn't even enough room in the place that they were hanging out. Jesus is in his home and he's preaching and sharing a message and there's not enough room in the house. And so people decided to go up on his house, cut a, cut a hole in his roof, vandalize his home and come in through the roof because they want to hear what he has to say. Jesus had many different techniques in his public speaking, but one so obvious and one used so often was this technique of hyperbole. Look at the person next to you say hyperbole. 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 It is hyperbole. It is a funny word, but it's a technique used in speech to uh, emphasize over-exaggeration. Hyperbole means overly exaggerated. Jesus used hyperbole in many of the messages that he shared. And in this passage here, theologians debate whether or not this is a parable of Jesus or whether or not this is an account that Jesus is sharing, a factual account. And uh, you can read up and study about that on your own. But in this passage here, Jesus uses hyperbole. Let's go back to verse 19 and let's look through this together. The Bible says, now there was a rich man and he habitually, he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. 
That word habitually is found in the New American Standard Bible. You can say, you can see NASB down at the bottom there. It's my preferred Bible version for reading. And it says he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. That word habitually simply means by way of habit or regularly. The man regularly dressed in purple and fine linen. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a really um, very specific uh, thing. He dressed in purple, okay? Well, what matters about the color purple? Well, I was doing some studying this week, and back in the Roman times, back in the first century, the time of Jesus, the, pur- the, the color purple, and even found right through back to the time of Moses, the color purple was a color that represented royalty. A color that represented royalty. The color blue was a, was a color that represented sort of nobility, being noble. The color red represented power and judgment. But mixed together, the two colors made the color purple. And the color purple, obviously to be put onto clothing, had to, be, had to start off as a dye. And dyes were extremely expensive, but not just any dye, purple dye was extremely expensive. The color purple was found throughout history and throughout scripture as a color that represents royalty. Jesus at the crucifixion, while he's walking up and getting crucified, the Roman soldiers put a a cloth over him. It was a purple cloth, an insult to the Jews to say, here's your king, here's your royalty, he's being crucified. The tabernacle, the color of the curtain of the tabernacle was purple. The veil of the tabernacle was purple. Parts of the priest's clothing was purple. And this isn't just in the Christian or Jewish world. This is in the world as was at the time, the Roman world. And and beyond that, the color purple represented royalty. And so Jesus here is saying, here's a rich man. And he's dressed in purple. He regularly dresses in purple. He's so vain that he's saying, I'm wearing my Balenciaga purple today, or I'm wearing my Versace purple today. He is super rich, dressed in purple and fine linen. So not only is he so rich that he can afford to get purple dye put into his clothes, but now he buys fine linen and then dyes them purple so that he can demonstrate how rich he is. He's filthy rich. And so they're talking about the rich man who dresses in expensive clothing and joyously living in splendor every day. Jesus is just saying, I want to get the point across to you that this guy is so loaded, it ain't even funny. It's a Bill Gates kind of loaded. He's not even funny. He's a Kanye West loaded. It's not even funny. He is rich. The uh, tradition of the church back in the first century the word, the Latin word for the rich man is actually the word dives, D-I-V-E-S, dives. So tonight, I'm going to call these guys by their names. The rich man, Mr. Dives, and Lazarus, the poor man. You can go to the next verse there. Now, we've seen the contrast, the rich man, the filthy rich guy, who wore purple, who wore fine linen, who lived an extravagant life every single day. And then here we see Lazarus. Lazarus is a poor man. He's laid at the gate. He's covered in sores. And the next verse says that the dogs would come and lick his sores. 
Lazarus had just given up and did not care anymore because his life was nothing. He even longed to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich rich man's, Mr. Dive's, table. Let's move on to verse 22 in the story. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died, yay, and was buried. Sorry, it's maybe uncalled for. And he was buried. Next verse. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes. The rich man, Mr. Dives, lifted up his eyes. And being in torment, he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Next verse. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that during your life, you received your good things and and likewise Lazarus' bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Now tonight, we are going to use this passage as we look and ask ourselves this question, are people my priority? And to give you context, I wanted to read through to verse 25, but I want to stop there and say, tonight we're not going to focus so much on the destination, but we're going to focus more on the journey because sometimes the journey is just as important as the destination. Sometimes the destination is not as important as the journey at all. Scripture evidence for the priority level that Christ gives others is found everywhere. There's scripture evidence everywhere. On the screen, Philippians 2 verse 4 says this, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. That's Uncle Paul preaching there. Galatians 6.2, Paul again, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. People are priority. Romans 12.10, Paul did write most of the New Testament. So, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. A quick Google search of the word kindness in the Bible finds 258 occasions used in Scripture. Kindness towards others is found 258 times in Scripture. Jesus says, people are my priority. Perhaps the most strikingly clear call for love and kindness to prioritizing others in our lives is when Jesus was discussing the golden rule found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, which says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way You want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Notice that scripture doesn't tell us. Notice back in verse 20, excuse me, sorry. If we go back to the Luke 16, verse 22 and 21, sorry. Now we see here the poor man who we have discussed as being a man who had nothing, a man who wanted to be fed, wanted to eat the crumbs from the rich man's home, a man who let the dogs come and lick his sores, a man who was likely not dressed appropriately, a man starkly contrasting from the rich man's life. Notice this one thing. When Jesus is telling us this story in scripture. 
he leaves out the reason that Lazarus was in his position. He doesn't say Lazarus is in this position because he was an addict. He doesn't say Lazarus dropped out in year 10 and didn't pursue higher education. He didn't say he was too lazy to find a job. So he was sitting at the gate of this man. Jesus doesn't point it out to us because it doesn't matter to Jesus. And I believe Jesus is highlighting to us that his unconditional love towards us and the unconditional love that he calls us to have towards others can become dangerously conditional in our lives as we walk in our day-to-day walk. We see throughout this story, as we, we see the, the ending, the destination, where they ended up. But prior to that, we notice something really important. We notice that Lazarus and the rich man, Mr. Dives, knew each other. When Mr. Dives is in Hades and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, Mr. Dives calls out to Abraham and says, send Lazarus to come here. Mr. Dives knew Lazarus. They had a relationship. They may not have been best friends, but they knew each other. The rich man did serve Lazarus. Mr. Dives did serve Lazarus. We see here, he fed him with the crumbs which were falling by the table. But that is the bare minimum. I thank God that our God is not a God of bare minimums. We serve a God who fills up our cup until it overflows. We serve a God who provides all of our needs according to his riches in glory. We serve a God whose promises and answers to our cry are yes and amen. We serve a God who opens up the front door, who walks down the path, who opens up the gate, who sees us lying on the ground and who picks us up and who puts a purple cloth around us, and who loves for us and cares for us. So I want to ask this question, are people our priority? I want to share a story with you tonight. And uh, tonight's a a bit shorter of a night, because I want to share this story, and then I want to spend some time praying and worshiping God. I wonder if the keys could come back up. I want to share a story with you. I'm reading a book at the moment called, I'm reading a book at the moment, and there's this illustration in it. Um, there's this illustration in it about an incident that occurred some time ago uh, in 1982. And in this book, there's a healthcare company called Johnson & Johnson. They're a healthcare company that creates uh, med- medication. They create pills. Um, they seek to help people And in 1943, this company was founded, and one of the founding members wrote this one-page document called the Credo, this one-page document that outlines the priorities that this company has. One day in 1975, James Burke, who was the president of the healthcare company, he got together all of the executive members of this company, and he sat them down in this room, and he said to the people in this room, we're going to sit here and we're going to talk until we decide whether or not we want to keep the credo as our primary values and priorities document. They sat down and discussed for weeks if this document was going to be their primary document 
that everything they did would be focused on this document. They sat and deliberated for weeks and weeks and finally came to the conclusion that the document, the credo, would remain as their primary document that spoke about their values and priorities as an organization. This is how the document begins. We believe our first responsibility is to doctors, nurses, and patients, to mothers and fathers, and all others who use our products and services, meeting their needs in everything we do. The document goes on like this for four paragraphs, outlining, it's a 314 word, one page document, outlining the relationship to each group of stakeholders that the company uh, interacted with and prioritized them as follows. Number one, customers. Number two, employees. Number three, community. And number four, company stockholders. The credo was a prominently displayed document. The document was in all of their buildings. They existed right across the United States. Johnson & Johnson, massive company. Their document was given to all new people as they entered the business so they would understand what the vision and what the culture of the organization was. The credo document outlined their priorities. At their main office, it was displayed on a brick, on a, on a um, stone wall. It was engraved in the wall so that it was very obvious what they believed in. Seven years later, on September 30th, 1982, normal life came to an abrupt halt. Burke received a phone call that six people were dead in Chicago because they had ingested his company's product, extra strength Tylenol capsules that had been laced with cyanide. Seven, six people dead. In Chicago, in the city of Chicago where the people had died, panic ensued. Police were walking around. This is 1982, so understand me here. Police were walking around with, with bullhorns, with, with bullhorns shouting out and warning to the people, do not take any Tylenol products. Do not take this medication. The Boy Scouts of America came into Chicago by mass and walked around the city going door to door through apartments telling people not to take any Tylenol. Word spread across the United States and San Francisco began to warn its residents not to flush any of the pills down the toilet lest they would poison the sewer system. One new service calculated that Tylenol poisonings, the, ty the Tylenol poisonings of 1982, generated the widest US news coverage since the assassination of President Kennedy. It was a massive deal. Burke and members of a committee that he arranged out of the executive team that he had at the time, flew to Washington DC and met with officials from the FBI and the FDA the Food and Drug Administration to discuss what the next what the next steps were for the company. The, F the FBI and the FDA strongly encouraged Burke to limit a recall just to the city of Chicago because the events were isolated to the city of Chicago. There were no other deaths at this time. A day later, another death was recorded in Chicago. They said that a national recall would unnecessarily frighten the public. It would embolden 
the perpetrator, the poisoner, and would encourage copycats throughout the United States. This was in a time when our medicine was not packaged in plastic and anyone could meddle with it at any time. And one thing that the FBI didn't need to point out was that a national recall would cost Johnson & Johnson, the company, and millions and millions of dollars. James Burke and the group that went with him to Washington, D.C., discussed and deliberated as a team, went away and ignored the advice of the FBI and the FDA. They ordered an immediate national recall of all Tylenol products on the market, 31 million pills in total, costing Johnson & Johnson $100 million. When Burke was asked for his reasoning for the national recall of all pills, he pulled a piece of paper out, placed it on the podium and said, we believe our first responsibility is to doctors, nurses, and patients, to mothers and fathers, and all others who use our products and services. Isn't that a cool story? It's a shame, it's sad that people died, but in a world where we criticize the corporate businesses and the corporate world because they take advantage of people and take money, we see them prioritizing people above themselves. It's an encouraging story because it means that money means less than people do. And I'm challenged from this story because it highlights a massive, it highlights that a massive business is able to have a structure of priority with people. It's able to structure people as the number one priority in their position. And as Christians, I think it's challenging because I wonder, do we put people in the number one position of priority in our lives? Would you stand with me on your feet? Now you may say, Sam, but God is the number one position in my life. That's exactly right. But Jesus said, now that you have me, go and make disciples. Go into the world and treat people the way that you want to be treated. That's a confronting verse when Jesus says, treat people the way that you want to be treated because what we think is, well, my life's pretty good and so I want people to, you know, high five me and, and say good morning to me and, and, you know, be nice to me and, and help me to somewhere or whatever. But what Jesus is saying is in your absolute lowest point, do to others that you would have them do unto you. Prioritize people. You know, tonight across this room, I don't know every person that's here. I don't know every situation. I don't know what you're going through. But what I do know is that we serve a God that doesn't do bare minimums. We serve a God that does the maximum. He has us as his number one priority. And as Jesus walked towards Golgotha, as he walked towards the place where he would be crucified and placed on him was a purple linen, a purple piece of cloth representing his royalty. And what the Romans thought was a joke truly meant he really is the king. They were playing into the game. They were playing into who he really was, royalty. He was our king. Across this room, if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes. I want to ask two questions in this place tonight and provide you an opportunity to respond in this environment that is distraction-free. 
As I said before, we serve a God with the maximum priority in mind. We are his number one priority. And I want to ask the question, are people my priority? Are people your priority? Are people our priority? As a church, we exist to walk in the footsteps of Christ now. And everywhere Christ walked, people were his priority. Right across this room, as I said before, I don't know every person in every situation. I do know in a room like this that there may be people here who aren't sure where they stand in relationship with God. As we talk about Jesus and we talk about what he did for us on the cross, there may be people here who are unsure about where they stand in relationship with Jesus. And tonight I want to give you an opportunity to know for sure where you stand with God. So the Bible simply says that we just confess that he is our Lord and believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead. The Bible uses the word saved. You will be saved. And so right across this room tonight, if that's you, you want to be sure that you're in a right relationship with Jesus. You want to be sure that he is your number one priority. And then you can outwork and make people your number one priority. If you want to know that you are saved, right across this room with every head bowed and every eye closed for the privacy of people who may be making decisions tonight. I just wonder if you'd quickly raise your hand just so that I can see and then put your hand down right across this room from my left to my right. If there's anybody with that, put your hand up. Awesome. Is there anybody else? I do, want to want, I do want to ask one more question tonight before we close, before we worship God. Tonight I ask the question, are people my priority? We've seen from scripture that God calls us to live a life where people are our priority. And so I want to ask once again across this room, if you are willing tonight as followers of Jesus, wherever you are in your journey, if you're willing tonight to make that decision and say, yeah, people are my priority. My life is positioned where I will seek to make others my priority, where I will seek to walk out of my home, walk out of my comfort zone, down to the gate and make the person that's sitting on the ground, covered in sores, hungry, my priority. And if that's you tonight, again, with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask if, if that's you, I want to ask you just to raise your hand because I want to pray for you and, and my hand's up because that's what I want to be. I want to be a person who makes others my priority. So right across this room, if that's you, if you want to stand before God and say, yes, Lord, I want others to be my priority. I want to commit to serve others, to connect with others, to love others, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus for others, to have the voice of Jesus to others. I just wonder if you'd put your hand up. It's nothing to be embarrassed about or ashamed about. My hand is up. Because truly I want to be known for prioritizing others. For every person that's raised their hand, I just want to pray for you tonight, and then we're going to worship God. Father, I thank you so much for every person with a hand raised now, God. For every person that raised their hand before to say, yes, Lord, I want to know you more, and I want to be connected to you. I pray for each person. But God, for each person here with hands raised, saying, Father, I want people to be my priority. I want people to be my love. I want to love on and care on people. 
I want to walk out the gate and help up people who need my help. For every person that has a hand raised in this place tonight, I pray, God, that you would use them, that you'd fill them with your power, God, that you'd equip them to be able to do that in Jesus' name. Father, that you give them strength, God, that you give them power in Jesus' name. Father, that you would give them courage to be able to do that. It's not always comfortable, God, but I pray that you give us courage to look past our biases and to look within and see what you see, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in the podcast. For more information about Desert Life Church, go to desertlifechurch.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day and remember, you belong here.